Welcome to Mars Messina Presents. I am Mars and today is Saturday, November 11th, 2023. Wishing all of the veterans out there uh, most happy and um, peaceful Veterans Day. For episode 131, we will commemorate Native American Heritage Month. I think this topic is a great precursor to our Thanksgiving celebrations. Now, there are those who believe that recognizing the Native American plight cannot be conflated with enjoying Thanksgiving gatherings. And I respectfully disagree historically and culturally, and I'm gonna explain why. The very idea of Thanksgiving dinner is Native American. And it's a story and a tradition that unite all of us. I believe it is really important to continue celebrating Thanksgiving, although we should do it mindfully. So maybe our tradition, it might change a little bit. It might become something quieter and more contemplative but it doesn't even have to do that. If you're used to a loud and crowded gathering with tons of food and music and laughter, you can continue these mirthful traditions and still be mindful of Native American history. Having said that, it remains important to know that for many Native Americans, Thanksgiving is a day of mourning and protest as it commemorates the arrival of settlers in North America and the centuries of oppression and genocide that followed. So let's go back uh, to revisit the beginning of the Native American-European settler relationship because we may not have gotten the straight story in, when we were in school. So, the Wampanoag tribe, it was the Wampanoag tribe who were centrally based in what we now know as Martha's Vineyard and Nantucket. So we basically find this tribe in Rhode Island and in Massachusetts. And they, it was these people who helped the, the first wave of Puritans who arrived on these shores in 1621. The Wampanoag showed them how to plant crops, how to fish, how to forage for wild foods, how to stockpile foods for the winter, and how to basically survive in this new climate in which they found themselves. In the autumn of 1621, the Native Americans and the Puritans gathered to celebrate their good fortune and their harvest. Edward Winslow, who was a Puritan leader, wrote a letter to a friend in England describing what we tend to think of as the first Thanksgiving. And he said, our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling so that we might after a special manner, rejoiced together after we had gathered in the fruits of our labors. 
close quote. The four hunters managed to kill enough wild turkeys, ducks, and other fowl to feed Plymouth for nearly a week. Uh, this is according to Mr. Winslow in his letter. The Wampanoag leader, who was named Massasoit, I hope I'm pronouncing some of this stuff right. I, I'm, I apologize if I, if I am not. I am not Native American, and I am unfamiliar with the language, but I'm trying. So the Wampanoag leader, Massasoit, and 90 tribesmen joined the settlers for three days of feasting and entertainment. They brought with them five freshly killed deer as a gift to the governor. Winslow goes on. We have found the Indians very faithful in their covenant of peace with us, very loving and ready to pleasure us. Some of us have been 50 miles into the country by land with them. There is now great peace among us and we for our parts walk as peaceably and safely in the woods here as in the highways of England." Close quote. And I think maybe that's where we got our, you know, when we were kids and we were coming up on the Thanksgiving holiday and we were drawing pictures of turkeys and pilgrims and Indians all with smiles on their faces. However, the first official, the first official mention of what we call, what is now called Thanksgiving, a celebration occurred in 1637, so about a decade later, and this was after the colonists brutally massacred an entire Pequot village, and then they subsequently celebrated their barbaric victory. So this piece, it didn't last long, and there were maybe other places where there wasn't peace at all. Um, these settlers came in, and they see these native peoples, and they're like, do we make friends with them, or do we slaughter them? And they decided on the latter. Now, let's fast forward to President George Washington who attempted to start a holiday of Thanksgiving in 1789, but his idea had nothing to do with Indians and settlers. Instead, it was intended to be a public day of Thanksgiving and prayer. Now, concerning how the founders of this nation viewed the indigenous peoples of America, the phrase, and I quote, merciless, savage Indians written into the Declaration of Independence speaks volumes about how they felt about the native indigenous people. It wasn't until the writer Sarah Josepha Hale persuaded President Abraham Lincoln, now we're up into the 1860s, that the Thanksgiving holiday was needed and could help heal a divided nation that it was made an official holiday in 1863. The purpose of establishing the Thanksgiving holiday in, I think is the third week of November every year, um, Lincoln's purpose was to grieve lives lost in the Civil War and as a day of prayer to reunite the nation. 
it, again, what it didn't really have anything to do with Indians and settlers. It had to do with the North and the South and the crumbling of the Union and so many deaths in that war. So that's just a little historical background to what we now know as the Thanksgiving holiday. Let's talk about how Native Americans, how they feel about this holiday. Now there are some who would rather do without it altogether. And then there are those who have suggestions on how we can properly and morally celebrate Thanksgiving and Native American Heritage Month, which is all of November, and how to commemorate Native American culture. And here are some suggestions they have for us. Excuse me, I'm gonna take another water break. <clears throat> so they suggest that during the month of November and certainly beyond, that we recognize what native land we live upon. So they break up the United States into regions and we'll go over those regions. They suggest participating in Native American cultural events. They suggest exploring Native American cuisine. Uh, they say to read Native American literature, to listen to Native American podcasts, to support Native American art and artists, to engage with a Native American community, and to create a broader public awareness of the history that has led us up to this moment in time. Now, for the purposes of this episode, we can't do all of these, but we will focus on two. So the first one, let's become aware of the indigenous regions upon which we live. What we now know as the United States is roughly broken up into 10 indigenous cultures and geographical regions. Okay, so those 10 places are, the first one is the Arctic, which includes the Aleut peoples, the Inuits, and the Yupiks. And Arctic culture is an umbrella term for many different tribes which leads me to the second um, indigenous region and culture, which is the subarctic. Um, again, it's under the umbrella term of the Arctic peoples. The subarctic are the Alaskan natives. Number three, Northeastern woodlands, which includes the Great Lakes tribes. Number four, the Southeastern woodlands, which are the Ozarks, Blue Ridge, Smoky Mountain people, as well as the Southeastern states. So like the Natchez and the Choctaw. Uh, number five, the Great Plains. The people of the vast grassland between the Mississippi River and the Rocky Mountains, and from the present day provinces of Alberta and Saskatchewan and Canada, through the present day state of Texas. Number six, the Great Basin. Now this includes um, Snake River Plains and Upper Colorado Basin. The Northwest Plateau includes 
British Columbia, and the non-coastal U.S. Northwest. Number eight is the Northwest Coast, which is the Pacific Northwest and the offshore islands. Number nine, California, from the Pacific Coast to the Sierra Nevada mountain range. And then finally, number 10, the Southwest, or what is known as Oasis America. It extends from modern-day Utah down to southern Chihuahua, Mexico, and then from the coast on the Gulf of California eastward to the Rio Bravo River Valley in southwest Texas. So those are the 10 regions and within, within them 10 cultures. So on your own time, find out which tribes lived or live in your region and what their customs were and are. No matter, no matter, no matter what region you explore, you will find that the indigenous people recognized and they still recognize local agriculture as their true economy and that they were and are natural environmentalist. It's it, natural environmentalists, plural and we have much to learn from them. Now, if you're white and you're Christian, for example, and there is no reason to apologize for that, that's who you are, but the very first commandment that was ever given from God to a human being, and it didn't take place on Mount Sinai, it took place in the Garden of Eden, Take care of this garden until I return. And it's the Native American people who are doing this and they are still being oppressed for doing it. Now, the second suggestion on which we will concentrate is the exploration of Native American cuisine. Now for next week's show, I'm going to share general Thanksgiving recipes and I'm going to feature like different ways to cook a turkey, um, what you do if you're a vegetarian, what you can cook, and, and I'm going to have other dishes like stuffing and sides and stuff like this. So it's going to be a lot of fun. So for next week, just ramp up, you know, make sure you're ready to cook um, or if you just want to relax and kick back with a little drink while you listen to this show. Uh, I'll have my water. You have your, in quotes, water. Um, but it's going to be a fun show next week. However, for this week, you might even be inspired, after you hear this episode, to include Native American dishes in your Thanksgiving celebrations. But you'd, you'd be surprised that you probably already use many indigenous foods in your Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, turkey, corn, beans, pumpkin, maple, wild rice, etc. These are actually, we actually got that from the indigenous people. So feel free to um, continue to embrace those dishes as well as others you, you might hear about today. Being mindful of what ends up on our plates and how this food got there 
provides a deeper understanding of the land upon which we stand. It's exciting to reconnect with the nature around us. Many American hobbyists, gardeners, and cooks spend hours outdoors collecting foods like chanterelles, morels, ramps, wild ginger, choke cherries, wild plums, crab apples, cactus fruit, maple, wild rice, cedar, rose hips, hickory, acorns, and walnuts. We can work with native growers or learn from them who produce heirloom beans, squash and pumpkins, and native corn varieties, which all come in many shapes and sizes and colors. We can have our feasts include dishes like cedar braised rabbit, sunchokes with sumac, pine stewed venison, these are all Native American cuisine dishes, smoked turkey with chestnuts, true riled rice with foraged mush mushrooms, native squash with maple, smoked salmon, and even wild teas. I would love to one day be able to grow my own tea. Undergoing this effort is not only fun and useful and educational, it helps to take that complex edge off of what can be a sad time for so many people. The idea of giving thanks is central to native heritage and culture. And in this way, Thanksgiving, as we already know, is a chance to appreciate the good things of life, like family, community, and the riches of the land. Long before settlers arrived, native tribes were celebrating the autumnal harvest and the gift of Mother Earth's abundance. Native Americans spiritually, or wait, what do I want to say and how, how should I say it? Um, like Native American spirituality, uh, both traditionally and today, their spirituality emphasizes gratitude for creation and for care of the environment. This is how they worship. When you see a Native American foraging for mushrooms or tilling the land uh, for corn, that's a form of prayer. And they recognize the human need for communion with nature and with each other, which is what Thanksgiving is all about or should be. Regardless of the origin of the day, many Native Americans will they will also gather with friends and family and use the day to eat good food and give thanks. For example, Stephen Peters, who is a Wampanoag tribe spokesman, was asked about his views on Thanksgiving and the fact that most Americans still gather to eat turkey on Thanksgiving. And here's what he had to say about that. I think it's great. My ancestors had four harvest festi festivals throughout the year. Gathering with family, enjoying our company, sharing our blessings and giving thanks for all that we have is a good thing. 
I say have more Thanksgiving events throughout the year. I also ask that you take a moment in that day to remember what happened to my people and the history as it was recorded and not the narrative that we have been given in the history books. Close quote. So, again, the good news for those of you who love that Thanksgiving turkey, you can also honor Native American culture as you continue to eat your turkey. Now, what I will do is share a handful of very important dishes um, in the Native American cuisine. I will even give out recipes for those of you who might want to try some of these dishes. If you do, I would strongly, and, and so would the Native Americans, we would all, um, and I'm not saying I'm Native American, but having learned what I learned, strongly suggest that you try to stick to your own region. That would be the best way to undergo this experiment. But let's say you really want to try a certain dish and you can't find that in the region in which you live. There's an ingredient that you can't get, but maybe another region has it. Then you could either order it online or you can um, use a substitute. Okay. In any case, you will still learn much more about the culture um, of the peoples that first stood on the land on which you stand now and the reasoning behind their dishes. So the following are considered 10 essential recipes to Native American cuisine. And they just happen to correspond with the aforementioned 10 cultural regions. So once again, if you want any of these recipes, email me at thisismarsmessina at gmail.com and I will get them to you. Without further ado though, here are the essential dishes. Number one, bison pot roast with hominy. The American bison that once roamed the Great Plains were considered sacred animals by the Lakota and other people of that region. And like they were from kind of the Dakotas area, okay. Um, bison served as a critical food source that was celebrated in ceremonies and honored in prayer. Okay, so this wasn't mind, mindlessly, you know, I'm at work, I'm running over to McDonald's and I'm wolfing down something really quickly to get to my next meeting. No, these animals, they were revered. Even as they were being killed and prepared, they were honored prayerfully. prayerfully. According to numbers published in the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, there were 30 million to 60 million bison in North America in the 1500s. By the end of the 1800s, settlers had decimated the population. In the late 1990s, the number of bison in North America had grown again to, near, to nearly 300,000 animals 
in public herds and on rat ranches. It's exciting to these indigenous peoples of the land and to the hunters that we now have access again to this vitally important meat. And according to those who eat it, when it's slowly braised, the lean, mild bison becomes fork tender and the hominy that is served as a side dish brings substance and a subtly sweet, nutty corn flavor. A small branch of foraged white cedar adds a woodsy note, um, but you can also use juniper berries if you don't want to use white cedar because it has a similar effect. Now again, if you're, if my listeners, among my listeners, there's vegetarians and vegans, don't fret because there are plant-based dishes represented here, like this next one. So number two, roasted turnips and winter squash with agave glaze. Now, traditionally, this dish, also from the Great Plains, would include something called timpsola, the wild turnip that grows in patches across that region. Old Lakota harvesting stories tell how the Timsula point the forager from one plant to the next. It is so beyond interesting. It's spiritual. In Lakota homes, the turnips are often braided and dried for use throughout the winter. Unless you live in that region, fresh Timsula is difficult to come by. Um, it's not sold commercially. It's milder and slightly denser than the garden turnips um, that we've substituted in um, a more traditional pairing or in this traditional pairing, we're using more conventional turnips now. The agave glaze adds a touch of sweetness to the vegetables and the toasted sunflower seeds add crunch. That sounds really good, actually. Um, number three, roast turkey with berry mint sauce and black walnuts. Now, this is how the Native Americans do it. The flavor of heritage turkey breeds is richer and more pronounced than that of commercial turkeys sold at supermarkets nationwide. In essence, these breeds taste more like turkey than you are used to. Heritage birds are raised outside, pecking at a varied diet. They tend to have meatier thighs and smaller breasts and a higher ratio of dark meat to white meat. So if that sounds delicious to you, you might want to get a heritage turkey. The Onondaga tribe among others from the northeastern United States, would have been able to serve them with forest berries, perking up the rich dark meat with color and flavor. Sparked with mint, this berry soft sauce, this berry sauce is bright and fruity with just enough acid to complement the richness of the turkey. 
So if you go foraging in the forests of the northeastern United States, just be careful of the ticks. Number four, tepary beans with chili agave glaze. Another vegetarian dish. The small tepary beans that grow in the harsh, dry American Southwest are an heirloom variety that has been cultivated and harvested wild by countless generations of native people in that region. The Navajo. The Navajo had seed savers even protecting these beans during the long walk of 1864, which was a brutal forced march to eastern New Mexico, hiding the beans in their clothing. This is an amazing bean that can withstand and even prosper in the most extreme heat and drought. The white variety is slightly sweet and nutty while the brown variety has an earthier flavor. So if you find yourself in Arizona, New Mexico, maybe um, Southern Nevada and Utah, check out the tepary bean and serve it with chili agave glaze. Bringing us to number five, Rocky Mountain rainbow trout with trout eggs. Whole trout makes for a stunning presentation, especially when it is topped with delicate pink roe, which sparkles like gems on top of the fish and imparts a salty mineral flavor. I remember them serving this in Utah. This was um, not unusual to see this in Utah. Trout from the icy Rocky Mountain streams are at their best in the late spring when the ice has just melted. Cooks from the Shoshone tribe, among many others, or should I say Shoshone? I don't know. Shoshone. Um, make, um, I I'm sorry. These cooks, among many others, make delicious meals using the entire fish. They waste nothing. So they're using cheeks and eyes, and those are considered delicacies, as is the harvested roe, which is prized for its distinct flavor and its relationship to the idea of renewal. Number six, chia pudding with berries and popped amaranth. I, I want to say I don't know what I want to say, I but I always mispronounce amaranth. Okay, so again, chia pudding with berries and popped amaranth. Based on flavors from the Olone, Olone tribe, uh, this simple pudding doubles as both breakfast and dessert and gets its silky texture from chia seeds. Though optional, the wild manzanita berry that grows abundantly throughout California. So you're going to find this a lot in California. Anyway, um, these manzanita berries make a wonderful addition to this dish. When the berries are ripe, they turn a burned red hue and become slightly sticky. 
The flavor is often likened to sour apple, which adds a nice tang with, um, what the, I'm sorry. Okay, let me start that over again. I'm sorry. Manzanita berries taste like sour apple. And if you crush them and mix them with milder mixed berries, um, it kind of um, takes away from too much tang. It balances it out. Um, with the mixed berries, um, adding a... Um, a sweetness, but also an acidity, I guess. So toasted amaranth seeds also give it all a nutty crunch. So that's how you should serve it. If you can't get the manzanita berries, just use mixed berries. If you can get the manzanita berries, then it's kind of like rhubarb. You can't just have rhubarb alone. You have to like mix it up with strawberries. So if you get the manzanita berry, mix it up with mixed berries and top with the amaranth seed. Okay, moving on to number seven, seared salmon with crushed blackberries and seaweed. A traditional staple on the Pacific Northwest coast, salmon. I've seen the wild salmon up there. I went for a hike near Seattle and you would just see them just, I mean, like literally just flying out of the stream, like really high up and then diving back in. So cool. So the salmon is considered a sacred food. And this dish is often slow roasted on cedar or redwood spikes near an open fire, giving the fish a beautiful smoky flavor. In the kitchen, searing the salmon in a skillet allows the true flavor of wild caught fish to shine through. Seaweed harvesting goes back countless generations, and so the salty seaweed is a great side dish, along with the sweet local Pacific Northwest blackberries, a combination that is natural for the Muckleshoot and other tribes of the region. So you might want to try that. And again, you can use substitutes, but try for the real thing. Number eight is wild rice and berries with popped rice. So you have rice two ways. As delicious, simmered until tender, as it is popped until puffy and crisp. Real hand harvested wild rice, available from a few vendors online, is unlike any commercial patty rice. Nutty and woodsy, it cooks in half the time of commercial wild rice and tastes of the piney forests and the clear, cool northern lakes. Okay, so now we're looking at um, Minnesota, um, Wisconsin, okay, even Illinois, uh, Michigan. In the Anishinaabe language, wild rice is manumen or good berry and is served at many ceremonies in the Great Lakes region. From holiday celebrations to weddings and funerals. Again, wild rice and berries with popped rice. I might try that one. Number nine, three sisters bowl with hominy beans and squash. 
there are quite a few legends within various indigenous communities involving the three sisters. I think um, anyone who has done gardening knows the three sisters, corn, bean, and squash. The ancient and advanced farming techniques from the Cherokee and so many other tribes through the East Coast yield countless strains of these ingredients in many sizes and colors and flavors. These diversities are not only a direct connection to the past, but a symbol of resistance to the destruction of indigenous culture. This recipe showcases the simplicity of these flavors. Last but not least, crawfish and shrimp pot with spiced sweet potato. You will find this plentiful throughout the Gulf Coast because crawfish and shrimp are Choctaw staples and traditional seasonings like the spice ground from dried sassafras bark and spicy chilies are perfect accents for those of you in New Orleans and in the South. The crustaceans rest on a bed of spicy sweet potatoes and in a dish that calls back to traditional feasts and community gatherings. The sassafras adds a grassy, slightly sour note and the berries bring more color and tang. You can vary the shellfish depending on the season and your locale in this festive dish, which is easily doubled to serve a bigger crowd. So there are your 10. The true foods of North America may not be available at every grocery store or even online, and they don't come from industrial farms. They are seasonal and they vary from region to region. To experience true indigenous foods is to explore the many different ecosystems of plants and animals wherever you are. However, again, Native American chefs and cooks do recommend trying substitutions because they want you to experiment with regional ingredients. And um, these ingredients are sustainably harvested in your own kitchen um, when you choose local. This time of year and these two holidays, Thanksgiving and Native American Heritage Day, give us the opportunity to reflect on our collective history on this land and to celebrate the beauty, strength, and resilience of the Native tribes of North America. So finally, our Native American friends invite us to remember the generosity of the Wampanoag tribe to the helpless settlers. They want us to remember the hundreds of thousands of Native Americans who lost their lives at the hands of colonists and the genocide of whole tribes. And this is an attack that continues to this day. And they want us to remember the vibrant and powerful Native descendants, families and communities that persist to this day throughout the culture and the country. We can do this and still feel free to be excited to have a good time this holiday season. And along with that, remember your own ancestors and their sacrifices, count your blessings and give thanks.
Now for bedtime stories from the acoustic bookshelf, we'll read lyrics to an Osage initiation song for women called Planting Initiation Song. I have made a footprint, a sacred one. I have made a footprint. Through it, the blades push upward. I have made a footprint. Through it, the blades radiate. I have made a footprint. Over it, the blades float in the wind. I have made a footprint. Over it, I bend the stalk to pluck the ears. I have made a footprint. Over it, the blossoms lie gray. I have made a footprint. Smoke arises from my house. I have made a footprint. There is cheer in my house. I have made a footprint. I live in the light of day. Tune in next week for some fun Thanksgiving recipes. Until then, arrivederci.